folks, it's Joe, and we're listening to Here's the Deal. I'm sitting here in my uh, home in Wilmington, Delaware, and I'm, but I'm excited to bring you our, our next episode. Joining me uh, this week is Senator Amy Globuchar, who's a great friend. Amy is a senator who's been a talented leader from the moment she got to the Senate. She served in the state of Minnesota for a long time. She's a former colleague of mine in the Senate. Uh, she's a friend, and I'd like to welcome uh, Senator Globuchar to the show. Uh, well, welcome, Amy. It's good to see Thank you. you. Does everything we does everything we be doing this? I mean, we got we got television okay. studios in our libraries and basements here. So, no. uh, look, but uh, here we are. <laughs> all of us have had a, a friend or a relative affected by uh, COVID nineteen, but it's been very personal for you. Uh, can you tell us about how it's affected your family? Uh, yeah, you know, uh, I think no one ever thinks it's going to happen to you until it happens. And in our case, uh, my husband, we have no idea how he got it, uh, got very, very sick. And he ended up with a temperature of over 100 for 10 days. Uh, he knew when he started to get sick that something was wrong. And so thankfully, he followed the rules. He didn't go to his a faculty meeting like Jill. He's a teacher and he didn't go that day. He didn't go to a thing I had at work. And as a result of that, a lot of people didn't get sick. And he stayed in the apartment. I kept calling him every day from Minnesota. And he was in Washington saying, hey, what's going on? And he kept saying, well, I think I'm still sick. And it was sort of a guy thing. He wouldn't do anything about it. And finally, after about eight days, I made him go to the emergency room. And that's when they found out that he had severe pneumonia, that he, um, his oxygen level was down to 70, which is really dangerous. Yes. They checked him into the hospital. It took six days to get the test back, like happens to so many people yep. right now in our country. And um, I had the experience um, that I never thought would happen to our family. He's only 52. He's really healthy. You know that. Yeah. And um i finally he just turned it around on the last day and what i learned from that is you can't be there you know i couldn't be there to hold his hand yeah. when things were going really bad uh, the nurse has to hold up the phone um to his ear i can't hug those healthcare workers that took care of them i haven't even been able to meet them except right. to talk to them over the phone and so many people have it so much worse you know uh joe because i know you've talked to those healthcare workers there they are, you know, are. in the hospital and someone's dying and they're the last ones to talk to them. Um, and it's the most lonely, horrific disease. And that's why I'm so devoted um, to your plans to get us out of this. We should have had more testing. We know this got screwed up by the administration. Uh, we should um, have been much more smart right away. He should have been with how he handled this. Uh, but now, we can't lose any more time and we've got to lead and push for the testing and the vaccine and to get America working again. Well, I really think you're right. Look, uh, and Jill sends her love. You know how much she thinks of your husband. I mean, they at all the debates, they'd hang together and <laughs> sit together and and uh, but uh, it scared the living hell out of her and us, too. But, you know, uh, I can't imagine what it's like. I've been through some tough times, but at least with notable exceptions, I've been in a situation where I've been able to be there and hold the hand. And yeah. hold the hand. 
But when you're at a distance and you can't, we're hearing so many stories when we're doing these these roundtables and these town halls about people talking about how they, you know, the doctors or the nurses holding the phone up to their, you know, their husband or wife or their mother or their father who is an extremist and just saying goodbye. We've been sort of absent in terms of the testing, this whole kind of, I mean, the idea that all the things the president said about it's not necessary. I just, as I was walking down to do this, the television was on, and there was a quote from Trump saying, well, the governor's got to do the testing. The governors have to do the testing. I mean, my Lord, I don't know what he needs. I mean, the idea that we haven't made the kind of effort that we can make and should be making. You know, he has the ability, as you know, under the under the wartime legislation, quote unquote. I mean, I was there uh, when we were in this last downturn, economic downturn, which is nothing like this, but it was bad. And I saw you lead those efforts to not just make sure the money got out there, but to make sure it was spent right. Yeah. And that's one of the things that uh, really, really bothers me right now is you have small businesses that aren't getting the funding they need and screw ups that are going on. And that's why I think you've got the immediate getting the protective equipment and the testing. But then you've got the long term, which is we need a leader to lead us out of the economic problems um, long after uh, we get the testing. And when you have no respect for government to begin with, it's awful hard to make government work. You know, with the grace of God, the goodwill of the neighbors, we're going to get something done here. But, I mean, the, my heart goes out to all those folks who are so many people have suffered. But but we're going to get and through I think, this. Yeah, that um, sense that you have, um, which has marked your whole life from your own losses of empathy, uh, is something that we are missing right now in the White House. And I was thinking of this as I was I got up this morning and was looking forward to talking with you of um, what you did once um, to someone you never even knew, uh, one of my friends who uh, you'd been out in Minnesota and uh, her husband had helped with an event that you and I did together. And then her husband got suddenly very sick and you didn't even ever meet him. And he had three high school girls and he died. And when I called you to thank you for coming to Minnesota, um, I told him the, you the story and I said, maybe you want to write a note to um, his widow. She's a very good friend. And you said, no, I'll call her. I'll call her. And I just think about this with all the people that we're losing right now. And what did you do, Joe Biden? You called her and it happened to be the first day when she was coming back from her job. She had gone back to work and she answered her cell phone. You said it was you. And she started to cry and you said, pull over, pull over. And then you gave her your personal number because you said you knew what it was like to lose a spouse. Um, and I think that story to me is all about you, but it's also about what we need in this country right now. We need confidence to run this in a big way and get that money out. But we also need a president that's able to lead and to, even if it's virtually, hold people's hands. And uh, we're not seeing that right now in the White House. Well, you know what? You and I have talked a lot about, you know, the, the sort of restoring the soul of America. We're getting to see the soul of America. Look at all the heroes out there. Look at all the ordinary people doing extraordinary, extraordinary things.
I mean, extraordinary things. Mm -hmm. The people who, in fact, uh, you know, just stock the grocery shelf. The people who are, you know, they're, they're, they're making virtually no money. They're making minimum wage. They're, they're out there, the first responders. The people are showing up. They're not, I mean, they're, they're, it just makes you so damn proud to be an American. Mm -hmm. America's showing its soul now. And, uh, yeah. and I hope in God's name we remember this when, when, we, when we beat this thing and we're putting the country back together. But look. Moving away from the coronavirus, yeah. I want to ask you something that many people might not know about you. Before you were a senator, uh, uh, you had even ventured into politics. You had a particularly challenging experience giving birth to your daughter. Mm -hmm. And you took that experience straight to the Minnesota state legislature and helped pass a new law. Yeah, I think so many people, something happens to them and it just they realize I can make a change. I can make the world better. And what happened to us was unexpected. So it was a normal pregnancy. And then when she was born, uh, she couldn't swallow. And the nurses come running in. They say she can't swallow. Something's wrong. They thought she had a tumor. They didn't know what was wrong. And uh, she ended up being in intensive care uh, for a week. And back then they had a rule in place, uh, the companies did, uh, that you had to get kicked out in 24 hours. Even though she was in intensive care and I'd been up all night and John had been up all night, they said, you're out of here. And um, she got a little better, it took a while for her to recover, which is another story. Now she's happy and in our house very happy to be having dinner with me every night I'm sure, <laughs> right now. <laughs> anyway, whole nother story. So um, she uh, gets out and um, that is when I had some time to start working on this. And I found out other women across uh, my state and actually the country were having the same experience. And so I went to the legislature. I wasn't in elected office and I started to testify and tell my story. And at the time, it was almost all men in the legislature. And I realized a few things is that uh, one is that if you talk about really embarrassing things that men don't want to talk about, like giving birth and episiotomies, they go, <laughs> OK, no problem. We'll do what you want. And then the, the second thing um, was that you just have to be perseverant and find other people that had the same problem. And then, as you know, later, um, President Clinton um, ended up taking this on as a national cause. Yeah. Uh, but we were one of the first states to pass it. Anyway, that's our story. But you do realize that something, you know, you take this, something oftentimes bad is happening around you. Um, and you just, instead of just complaining about it, you actually get involved, which is what's happening, I hope, right now in our election coming up. We certainly saw oh, I it do too. a few I, years ago. I think it People is. People actually act. I, th I think they are. And now it's time for questions from our listeners. And uh, the first question is from Sylvie in Los Angeles. Senator Klobuchar, what was the hardest thing for you to manage on a personal level when you got to the Senate? Well, I mean, there was balancing of your family. That was a harder thing for me. I actually, um, my family came out there with me because I wanted to be part of my uh, daughter's school and know her classmates. But I think the hardest thing for me personally was that I had gone from um, uh, a job where I managed a bunch of people and I could get things done right away. And then suddenly I was working with um, a lot of other people. Um, and I was not used to actually a lot of partisanship. So when I got to the Senate, I was in shock because Republicans sat on one side and Democrats sat on the other side. And to me, this just seemed so strange because I was just used to working with uh, people as people. 
And so um, one of the things that I started to do was just develop friendships with people across the aisle. And uh, right now uh, that's become harder and harder to do in the era of Donald Trump, where he likes to pit people against each other. Um, but I still forged ahead back then. And I think it made me a better senator because I actually got to be friends of people and I was able to pass bills. I remember one on drug shortages that I did and on agriculture and things like that. But, and I know the vice president can speak to this um, much more personally than I can, but one of those friendships that I forged uh, was with John McCain uh, because he invited me to go um, on a trip with him right after he lost the presidency. And I got to see personally someone who had been through something like that. And I saw his incredible resilience. And we would be in these meetings with all these um, leaders from other countries. And they would always look at him and he would speak. And then they would uh, look at the other Republican senator there. It was Senator Graham. And then he would always say, no, 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 no. Senator Klobuchar is the lead Democrat on this trip and she will go next. Yeah. And that personal moment where he basically gave me that gravitas to say, you know what? She's a leader too. She may be a woman and everyone else in this room is a man, but she is the leader on this trip from her political party. And for me, it's professional, but it was also personal to be able to see that and to be able to have that role model. And so for me, friendships like that helped me get through what, for me, being from Minnesota, not having been in the Congress before, was kind of a, a jolting experience to get out there uh, where people were playing politics with a lot of things. And it really helped me to be a better senator. Well, John, I knew John well, and as you know, mm -hmm. and uh, he had great respect for you. And he really did. And uh, but that's also John had a value set that was like yours. He had a value set. I mean, he was decent and honorable. We'd argue like hell, he and I <laughs> holler at each other. We traveled all over the world together. But, uh, you know, uh, but at the end of the day, it was uh, we were we were friends. Uh, he used to say, you've never seen a problem you don't think you can solve. And I would say, you never saw a war you didn't want to fight. And we'd go through all of that. Next question is from Daniel in Boston. Is there something you've always wanted to do and now are able to? Something you haven't previously had time for in your busy schedules? Well, actually, uh, well, what I've had a chance to do that I haven't in the past is uh, I've been able to get on the phone and talk to so many people that I've wanted to connect with and, uh, and, 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 and learn from and, and, and speak with and talk about what's going on. And so I've spent a lot of time in, in, in getting people on the telephone who I, we just randomly call people who have written to us and who, who have uh, um, asked questions and just to find out how, how they're doing, what's going on in their lives right now. How are they dealing with this, uh, this basically uh, self-quarantine? And uh, because, you know, it's really a difficult thing for people who are alone particularly elderly folks, but also you see there's a lot of data now that young people between the ages of, uh, of 18 and, and, and 35 are having real difficulties dealing with the fact that they find themselves being isolated in ways where they're, 
they were starting off on a job and they're not able to keep that job now, or they've been laid off before they began, or they began and they've been laid off and they're worried about, and they're having to make judgments about paying their student debts and a whole range of things. So what I've been able to do is just reach out and talk to people like I used to do on a rope line, when you do a speech, you go down and talk to folks. It's not quite as satisfying, but I've been able to also pick up the phone and call a lot of the people around the country and around the world I haven't had a chance to spend that much time in the last year and a half doing. And whether it's world leaders or or close friends, uh, to get their sense of what they think we should be doing going into and coming out of this god-awful uh, pandemic. I've gotten to read more on a regular basis uh, uh, than I have before. I reread a lot of political history. Well, I've been reading too. I actually finally got to read all of Michelle Obama's biography, yeah. which is great. Pretty good, isn't it? Yeah, it was pretty good. And then, uh, and I saw Jill is having one coming out. I noticed yeah. that. And I, um, and so anyway, but mostly for me, it's been so interesting because our whole family, because uh, Abigail came to see John after he got out of the hospital. So we're all somehow together. So like you, I think my daughter, um, some of her friends, it's really hard, as you said, they're alone. And so you hear these stories through her. And in some ways, it's such a gift uh, that I have that view of the world of what's going on in addition to knowing she's in a chat group that watches tiger king every week and uh, various other things that are going on um but one of the things we did we also i'm trying to get all three of us to clean one room at a time and we got down <laughs> yeah, to i the got basement. that one <laughs> oh no we got down to the basement and suddenly my husband is like there's a lot of dust out here and you know i did have coronavirus <laughs> suddenly which he had said he was fully recovered. The coronavirus came back. One, one of the last things I'll say is that one of the great things we've been able to do and to try to turn everything from negative to positive, but every single day I, uh, I'm on the phone with all of my, my, my five uh, grown grandchildren. They mm -hmm. range in eighth grade to senior in law school. And, uh, and I get to talk to them and they're, they're fully engaged in doing things. I have one out, my one who's a, gonna be a sophomore at Penn is making masks and she's uh, handing ah, them out. I got great. another one who is uh, Finnegan who's deeply involved in trying to organize young people to get engaged and she's part of this larger organization. And my, and my granddaughter who's graduating I was supposed to be her commencement speaker at Columbia Law School this year, but it's okay. got to be virtual now. But she and her boyfriend put together a, uh, a site, a website, how you can make sure you can know what you're eligible for in the, in the Cures Act. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, it's really been gotten a lot of wide uh, publicity and, I mean, not publicity, uh, viewership. And so, mm -hmm. they're, so they're all doing something positive. And then, you know, it's... Uh, it is frustrating not being able to get out. I've not left our home or the yard, uh, but um, the fact is, is there's a, you, you get a sense of how many good people there are out there watching mm -hmm. what they're doing for other people. Well, let me tell you, I wouldn't be the nominee had you not endorsed me. You won Minnesota for me. <laughs> no, I really mean it. I know why I Thanks, won, you. and I appreciate your friendship. Well, look, 
I, I, I can't thank you enough uh, for doing this episode with me. Thank everyone who thank tuned you. in. And I'd really like to have you back in the next month or so because no one's done more to try to figure out how we can have our democracy function and an election at the same time we're going through this crisis. You've, and I think it's be worthwhile for the, for the public to understand uh, what can be done and what has to be done for democracy to function. So anyway, stay tuned for an announcement on, uh, on uh, uh, who our next guest is going to be. And in the meantime, stay healthy, stay safe, everybody. And, uh, and Amy, thank you. I love you. Thank you for all thank you're you. doing. Appreciate it. Was it. Great. All right, bye-bye. Thank bye. you. Thanks. Bye.